you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Folks, those are powerful, powerful words. And my hope this morning is that we don't just hear those words in one ear and out the other, but I hope that we receive those words as words of identity, that we are indeed a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that we will begin to receive what that really means for our life and how we might begin to live that out. A couple of weeks ago, we began this journey into Lent, and we started by looking at this book of 1 Peter, and 1 Peter really focuses on the idea of holiness and what it means to be set apart as God's people. And you might remember that Pastor Janet jumped us into this sermon, by, or this sermon series by helping us understand what holiness means, at least to some degree. And you might remember she reminded us it means to be set apart, and in being set apart, we are a pure people, but it's more than being just pure. We are a moral people, but it's more than just being moral. We are a righteous people, but it's more than just being righteous. And she reminded us that it is through the fire of God's Holy Spirit that we begin to be a people who live into that purity and that righteousness and all that's entailed within it that we might be set apart. Last week, we came together and we began to realize and understand that God often uses the trials, the fires of life to refine us, that through our circumstances and through our challenges and whatever difficulties we might be facing, that God will actually use those processes to refine us in such a way that we come out stronger, that we come out better in our faith, that we come out more holy. And again, it's through that fire of trial that God uses that to refine who we are and make us some more holy people. We can lift those things up, but even still, it is easy to wonder, well, what in the world does it actually mean to be a holy people? What is entailed within that? And that's the question that we're going to answer together here this morning of what it means to be a holy people, because Peter gives us an answer. If you look with me, if you have your Bibles with you or you have your smartphone, especially the YouVersion app, I want to invite you to open with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. And it is this one verse that we are going to dive very deeply into together here this morning to get a better understanding of what it actually means to be holy. And this is what it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So here Peter says very clearly, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, having said that, I have a feeling that most of us don't think of ourselves as priests 
or being in the priesthood. We get a very specific idea of what it means to be a priest, and I'm guessing for the vast majority of us, that does not connect with us. And yet, that's what Peter is telling us here this morning. Why does he use that language? What is it that he is trying to share with us by raising this idea of the priesthood or being a priest? To understand that concept, I want to ask you this morning to travel with me a little bit back into the Old Testament, to enter into God's story and how God has been choosing to relate to humanity over the course of time and how we can remain connected with God or have any connection with God. And to do that, we got to go back to the Old Testament and look at this idea of priests because priests were prevalent in the Old Testament. The overall idea is this. For a priest in the Old Testament, a priest was one who helped regular, ordinary folks, people like you and me, gain access to God. So in the Old Testament, a priest is somebody who gets access to the center of God, and they do that because these priests are trying to live set-apart lives, lives of holiness. Every single thing a priest did was to be in preparation to meet the God of the universe or get in close proximity of the God of the universe, in a sense, face-to-face, which is no small feat. I want you to think of a sense of literally when you're coming into the presence of God Almighty, majestic and holy and all that comes with God, I want you really to get a sense this morning for these priests of legs shaking, of quaking in the presence of greatness, to use the language from Habakkuk a few weeks ago, bowels shaking, but don't reflect on that image too awful long, but you get the idea. It is no small thing to enter into the presence of the living God. This is something that you and I in this day and age, it's a gift that we have access to God. But on the other hand, we tend to lose a sense of what it means to dare to enter into the presence of an almighty living God. The priests show us what a big deal it was to even dare to get into close proximity of the almighty living God. And so for them to be able to provide access from the average person to God and have access to God, they had to do very special things, including offering very special sacrifices. And one of the things they would do is they would take sacrifices and place them on the altar and burn the sacrifice on the altar. This did two things. On the one hand, it literally burned away impurities of the sacrifice that was being offered, so then the sacrifice could be offered in good conscience unto God. But at the same time, once something was burned, you couldn't use it for anything else. So literally, the sacrifice was given to God, and there was no other usage for it after that point. In both of those ways, there was a sense of creating or offering something holy, and it was the fire that was used in that process because Almighty God cannot be in the presence of something unholy. So picture what's going on here. A priest is the only one who's really given access to even get close to God Almighty on behalf of all the ordinary people. Again, this is no small wonder. You and I are kind of used to having the idea that I can approach God whenever I want, and that is wonderful. But don't lose sight of the fact that an Almighty God doesn't have to give us that privilege. In fact, a central wonder of the gospel as a whole is that we have any access to God Almighty. God doesn't have to give us any access to God if if God didn't want to. It is phenomenal that God chooses to do that at all because God is holy and we are not. God is majestic 
and we are not. God is omnipotent, and we are not. We don't just have the right to casually approach God and sort of be like, hey, God, what's up kind of thing as we're walking by. The fact that God gives us any ability to connect or approach God in any way or even get close is actually phenomenal, mind-boggling. God is divine. We're not, we don't have any access on our own to God other than the fact that God gives us the grace and the opportunity to do so. And the very fact that God raises up these priests, people who are going to give access of the regular people to God, is a phenomenal thing. And so these priests, every single thing they do has to be done with intentionality that they'll do it in a holy way, in a non-sinful way, so that they can be that bridge for us. And the reason for this is because there happens in the Old Testament, we understand a gap between us and God. A gap develops between humanity and God as a result of our sin. Remember how it all began. When God started things in the Old Testament with the very beginning of creation, everything was described as good. Everything was very good. And when that happened, there was no sin. There was no brokenness in the picture. And so you've got Adam hanging out in the garden, Eve hanging out in the garden, God hanging out in the garden. And we're just given this image of them just hanging out because there was no sinfulness in the picture. And therefore, they could just mix together and talk together and be together all the time. There was no gap. There was no barrier. But then, then that dang fruit and disobedience and lying and shame and guilt and just a total lack of holiness and a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so Adam and Eve, now sinful and broken, had to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden and humanity was separated from God. A gap had occurred. There was no longer easy access to God because sin and brokenness was in the picture and God cannot be in the presence of sin and brokenness. And God could have given up. God could have said, I wash my hands of this, these dirt beings, these dust beings, these dust balls. God could have said, no more, I don't need to be with them. And yet God didn't do that. And eventually what God did in the Old Testament is he began to raise up these people called priests. And here's how God did that. You maybe have heard in the Old Testament of a pretty major character named Moses. God used Moses to lead the people of God out of slavery into freedom from the land of Egypt. Moses had a brother named Aaron. And God said, Aaron, I want you and I want all of your family. I want all of your people. I want all of your tribe. There are 12 tribes, but I want your tribe alone to be priests who will be holy and set apart on behalf of the people before me. Aaron, I want you and your tribe to live in a certain way, a holy way. I want you to offer sacrifices exactly as I'm going to tell you on the behalf of the people so it's presented properly before me. And so in that way, these priests, the family of Aaron, the tribe, they became intercessors to God on behalf of all the people. And again, they had to do things just right. They couldn't just casually come along and put a few things together. They had to do it exactly right in order to honor the holy presence of God. So the priests were the one who worked with the fire. They're the ones who offered the sacrifice exactly so. They were the ones who set everything up exactly the right way, and they had to avoid anything that was unclean. So they couldn't get near sick people or any form of disease. They couldn't even get near somebody who had died because all of that was considered messy and unclean, which again could not get near the presence of an almighty God. 
So these priests were set aside for a very high and a very holy calling so that people would have access to God. So their role was incredibly, incredibly important. It was a big deal to be a priest of any kind and to be set aside in the tribe of Levi. Big deal. But an even bigger deal was this, that among all the regular priests who had been set aside, of all of them, there would be one more chosen called the high priest. So you have the ordinary people set apart from them were these priests living holy lives, and now set apart even from them was the high priest. And the high priest was only chosen if he was physically superior in some way and gifted with wisdom and incredible dignity and incredible material wealth. In fact, if he was not sufficiently wealthy, the other Levi priests would chip in and contribute to the wealth of the high priest in order to make him acceptably rich before God. Why? Because approaching the presence of a holy God is no small thing. Approaching the presence of a holy God is intended to demand our very best. And all of this was done because of the high priest God would use to be a bridge and act as an intercessor between God's righteousness and human sinfulness and guilt. And this is how God chose to bridge the gap. So all of the priests were involved in daily sacrifices, and those sacrifices were used to burn away the impurities and, again, to offer a sacrifice that couldn't be used for anything else all the priests did that, but then you take this high priest, and only the high priest was allowed to enter into what was called the Holy of Holies, which was the single most sacred space in the tabernacle. It was the most revered, most respected ground, and once a year on the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur, the high priest would go in and on behalf of the people offer a prayer of atonement. So now, ordinary people, you got the priest set apart. From the priest, you got the holy priest set apart. And this holy priest, on only one day of the entire year, could go in and offer the prayer of atonement in this most sacred and holy and special of places. And it was so revered, so respected, so holy, that only the high priest would dare to think about going in there. And what they would do is they would tie a rope around the high priest, either around his waist or around his ankle, because they knew if the high priest went in there and if he did something in any way wrong that was unholy, Almighty God very well may strike him down. And nobody else would dare to enter into that space. So the only way the high priest was going to come out of the Holy of Holies was if he walked out in his own strength or he was pulled out with the rope around his waist or around his ankle. Because nobody else would dare to enter into that space. It was that holy. Now, can you imagine if you're one of the other priests there, and let's just say something happens to the high priest, and he's in there, and he's not coming out. I just picture them kind of elbowing each other, like, go on in and get him. No, I'm not going in there. You go in and get him. I'm not going on in there. I mean, high, holy space. So only one person, as one representative for all the people, offered a sacrifice for the entire nation so that people could have access to a holy God. And nobody else would dare to enter into that sacred space. 
So being the high priest was the most empowered position in all the Jewish world of faith. In fact, keeping this position, the high priest even had to dress a very specific way. They had a code on how to dress successfully as the high priest. And if you're curious what that involved, look up Exodus 28 verse 2 at some point. But just to give you a couple of ideas of what it involved, the proper uniform for the holy priest consisted of a checkered robe, an elaborately embroidered ephod that they would create. And what they would do is they would take a heavy sash and a breastplate. They would take 12 different jewels, 12 different precious stones, each stone representing one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they would lay it into gold and put a thing together that the priest would put on and wear so that literally the high priest was clothed in the identities that he represented for all the people of Israel before the Lord when he entered into the Holy of Holies. Do you hear how much intentionality and care goes into even daring to approach God Almighty? And it's this high priest who represented the people of Israel in this holy of holy places. And in this way, the high priest was ritually and rigorously separated from everybody else in order to be holy enough to even dare to enter into the presence of God. So again, the high priest couldn't be near sickness, couldn't be near disease, couldn't be near death. There could be no messiness of any kind, even at the risk then of death. That's how high and holy and powerful a calling it was to be a high priest. Now, do you know why I spent all that time on that? Are you starting to get it? Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You are now the high priest. You are, folks. Which means you, First Church, are called to give the world and our community and Williamsport and beyond access to Almighty God. You are called to be the high priest who act as an intercessor between the love of God and people who do not yet know that love. And we can do that because of Jesus. In Jesus, we are called to be priests now for the sake of the world. We could never do this on our own. We are not worth this on our own. But we can do it because we have a new high priest that we follow, and his name is Jesus. And if Jesus is in us, then we become high priests as well. Here is what's fascinating to me about Jesus being a high priest. As one of my professors has said, Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. There was no hereditary reason for him. There was no biological reason for him to be a priest. Jesus did not dress for success in the way the high priest in the Old Testament did. Jesus lived very simply. He wore very simple clothes and garments. He lived hand to mouth. He moved around a lot. Jesus didn't run away from the marginalized. He walked into the marginalized. He walked into the ritually unclean. Those who were emotionally and physically damaged, Jesus went and met them on their turf. That is not the definition of a high priest as we find in the Old Testament. Testament. But in Jesus, instead of finding a high priest who stood apart from the people, Jesus stood in the midst of the people. Instead of separating himself from the icky, messy stuff of life, Jesus walked into the icky, messy stuff of life so that Jesus offers a whole new kind of priesthood, one of being in the world but not of the world. 
And then here is what Jesus does. When Jesus comes into close contact with our messiness and our brokenness, Jesus, through his holiness, makes our impurity pure. And that is why if Jesus is within us, we too can be a high priest. So how do we know if we have access to this high, holy priest of Jesus today? Not through the burning of sacrifices on altars like the Old Testament priest, but now through the fire of the Holy Spirit that burns in each one of our hearts as we welcome Jesus into our lives. Into that fire, First Church, you are called as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here's the deal in the world in which we live. People still want and crave God. They may not know it. They might not have the ability to articulate it, but they crave God. Here's how I know this. Every single human being without fail was made to worship. We are always going to worship something. It is just a question of what. In the absence of God, I guarantee you, we will find something else to worship. Let me give you just one example. Some of you may have heard of this little football game a couple of weeks ago. I think they call it the Super Bowl. Uh, So maybe you heard of that somewhere along the line. And you can apply this really to almost any sporting event, but I'm going to use the Super Bowl. And I want to say that even though I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I was so thrilled to see the the, uh, Eagles win. That was a wonderful, wonderful thing, and I celebrate that with you. But have you ever thought about sort of the way we approach those sporting events and the, dare I say, liturgy or the worship practices behind it? Think about what happens. Everybody gathers at a set time to gather in one spot or location to root for or to worship their team and to pull for them with all that they've got. They find their happiness or joy, and if their team wins, and then they are distraught when that team may lose. They even happily pay their dues or their offerings to their favorite team by happily buying tickets to watch the experience. They stand as instructed and they sit as instructed by the crowd or by the cheerleaders or by the mascot. They often sing songs of one kind or cheers or chants together. Sometimes they even are praying. I've seen a fair amount of praying at different sporting events. They even share in the communion meal of Franks and soda when you're there. And we give our full praise and adoration. I was listening to an interview after the Eagles won uh, their, their Super Bowl championship, and literally this is what the gentleman said. He was just filled with euphoria, and he said, I can literally now die a happy man. I've experienced all there is to experience. Talk about worship. Make no mistake. People long to worship, and in the absence of God will worship anything. So when we are with people who don't yet know the very thing they're seeking to worship, God gives us the opportunity to be the intercessors and give access to those people to know the love of God in a way they otherwise may not. So first church, will we do it? Will we live into our high calling, our holy priesthood, our royal calling before God? In the Old Testament, in addition to providing access to God, the priests performed two significant roles. Number one, they led worship. They were a people who centered their lives around God. And number two, they took care of the poor. 
So if you wanted to see one, some of the marks of a priest, you could find a priest, number one, they're going to be worshiping. Number two, they're taking care of the needs of people in their community. Here's what's interesting in the day in which we live. There are now a lot of people who fill churches who say, I love God very much and hardly pay any attention to the poor and broken in our community. At the same time, we have a lot, whole lot of people in our community who will give a lot of attention to the broken and the poor in our community. They give hardly any attention to God Almighty and to worshiping God. We are called to be holy high priests, which means we worship God fully and we serve the needs of people in our community fully. By getting into God and worship, we can be sent out in God to serve those and the needs around us. Is that us, First Church? Are we willing to be those kind of priests, giving our full devotion to God and worship and at the same time serving the needs of those in our community? It is my hope and my prayer that this will be the kind of people that we will be. Now, I am grateful to say this to you this morning. I really believe it is in the DNA of First Church to be a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. And let me explain it to you in this way. If we think about the components of worship and serving the needs of our community, I'm just going to point to one tangible example. For those of us currently worshiping in this very space, so if you're watching online or worshiping in a different location, I want you to be thinking for a moment of the Christian Life Center, which again, for us gathered here this morning, is where we are. On the one hand, there's a worship focus in this place. We see it every Sunday as we gather together for a worship experience. Every Wednesday night at first night, we have a worshiping experience. Every week during the school year, we have hundreds of children in both First Nursery and our children's ministry who are learning about God on a regular basis. That's all worship-oriented. Through this CLC place, we worship. Holy priests help people to worship. On the other hand, when I look at the CLC here, we also see it serving the needs of our community. Right now, on average, we believe we're serving about 10,000 meals per year to people in need in our community. We've used this particular space as a headquarters for our Transform event that we've done over every summer here, the last number of summers. We've done over 400 different projects to make Williamsport a better place. The headquarters for that has often been here in this space. Every week, we open the doors of this location to any of our youth in our community who need a safe and positive environment to come to. Holy priests are those who serve the needs of those in their community, and this space allows that. So as we get ready to close our time together this morning, it is my belief and conviction that we have the DNA of being a royal priesthood, but will we continue to live that out? And as we get ready to close our time together this morning, I want to show you in just a moment a video. And this video is a video about fire. It is a video about holiness. But to be fair, you're not going to see any fire in the video. But what you will see are the fires of sacrificial giving and the fire of the Holy Spirit that's going to let you see how lives have been being impacted in this very place over the last 17 years. As of January 1 of 2018, I am thrilled to share with you that finally the debt on this place is paid 100%. And I give thanks to God for that. I give thanks to the people who have said, yeah, we can celebrate that together here this morning. I absolutely want to celebrate that because it's been a multi-million dollar project. And it is only by the grace of God and the sacrificial giving of many of you and those who have gone before us that this has been able to occur. Talk about transformation in Christ, changing lives inside the worship focus and outside the serving the needs and the community focus. It's amazing. 
I want to thank Katie Stepnowski for putting that together, and I want to thank again, you, you can celebrate for Katie. <laughs> I also want to thank you, First Church, for having the heart and the DNA of being high priests in our community. 17 years ago, you took a leap of faith to walk across the street from the First Evangelical Center. And it was such a big deal. There were actually a number of folks at that time who left the church because they didn't see the need for that or the sacrifice that was going to be needed to make it happen. And yet a core group of folks worked and were committed, as you just heard, and God has used their faithfulness in absolutely incredible ways. God has used their sacrifice in absolutely incredible ways. So now, First Church, will you consider not walking just across the street, but across our community and across our city and beyond to wherever God may lead. Now is the time to burn brighter, to sacrifice more, to draw closer, to be holy. Because remember, First Church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now live like it.